be content. But then, but then he starts going to each of the players. You know, he was there. There are other people lined up, and he goes to the players, and he points us out. He says, hey, go talk to them. And I'm like, no way. <laughs> and so, so the next picture uh, is uh, us with Frank Schwindelart, the first baseman for the, the Cubs. He comes over. Hey, I mean, it's just like, it's like a revolving door, and then he goes to another player. He's like, hey, those two people right there, go talk to them. And like, all these players like, come over and talk to us. Uh, and then finally, the big moment is finally the coach, David Ross, comes over and talks to us. Uh, go ahead and bring that next one up. Uh, so Dave Ross was the catcher for the Chicago Cubs in 2016 when we won the World Series. Uh, he was also on Dancing with the Stars, if you don't like baseball. I don't know um, if you like dancing. So this was like, I was so nervous in such a, I didn't even get in the picture with my wife with this man. Like I was like, oh, you know, take a picture. And I'm just so, so excited, right? So we, we're just like feeling like celebrities at this point in this line of people. I mean, there's like, you know, there's other here who got passes somehow. And, and then t- person after person like are coming to the player, the coach, everything. And these people next to us, like finally this woman like taps and was like, who are you guys? And I said, nobody. <laughs> We're nobodies, but we know everything, okay? Uh, here's the point, guys. The coach's status raised our status. Um, without knowing him, we were just a couple of fans, but a couple of fans who are friends with the coach, now that's a whole different thing, right? In this three miles per hour, uh, three miles per hour God series, we've been exploring Psalm 23. And the psalmist describes us as sheep, but we're not just any sheep, are we? We're sheep who know the shepherd, right, the coach, uh, a shepherd who makes sure we lack nothing, a shepherd who leads us beside still waters, a shepherd who walks with us at three miles per hour through the darkest valley of evil, as Fred taught last week. And today we're finishing up Psalm 23 with the final verse in Psalm 23, 6, which Carson just read, which says, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, we're just sheep, but we're sheep with a shepherd. And because of that, it's a whole different story than just some wandering sheep. We're sheep who are loved, and we will dwell in the presence of God forever. It changes everything. So let me begin tonight by asking you this question that I want you to think about. How often do you think about eternity? How often do you think about eternity? My guess is not much. And I'm guessing that because I'm a pastor and I don't naturally think about eternity every day. I think about getting my kids to daycare on time and grocery shopping and mowing my lawn, my next vacation trip. I don't usually think about eternity when I'm in the food line at Dad's or sipping my coffee at Starbucks, okay? But my gut tells me that many of the problems that you and I face and just problems in the world in general would not be problems if we would remember one simple truth, that this earth is not our forever home. This earth is not our forever home. Now, if you're new to CSF or just new to Christianity in general, I realize that may sound insane to you. So I want to acknowledge your feelings there. This, this all might sound like crazy talk, but let me ask you, have you ever had this fleeting thought in your mind that there must be more to life than this? That there must be more to life than money? that there must be more to life than sex. There must be more to life than living for the weekend or the next party. I think you're here tonight because there's something deep inside of you that's at least partially curious about the answer to that question. Is this 
C.S. Lewis, the man after which the Lewis house is named, wrote this famously. He said, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world, that nothing inside of us can satisfy. We're made for a different place. The psalmist, David, had this confidence that the love and goodness of God would follow him all of his life, and then... David said, I would continue to dwell in the house of the Lord, a.k.a. God's presence forever. Not just here on earth, although that's an important piece of this, that we dwell in the house of the Lord right now, but then it's also forever. This is a forever relationship. There was another man in the Bible who had this same confidence, a guy named Paul who wrote a majority of the New Testament. One of the letters he wrote was to the Philippians, and he wrote to the church at Philippi as he was sitting in jail. He had been arrested because of his beliefs in Christianity, and so he wrote this letter from jail, which is a little bit important to understand when I start to read some of the wild things that he wrote with some serious applications and implications for our lives if we take his word seriously. So he begins in in chapter 1 of his letter, Philippians 1, 21 through 26. He writes this, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, I could stop right there, And we could just sit and think about that for the rest of the sermon. I'm going to keep going, but I I do want to highlight just how important this is. For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. Again, he's sitting in jail. He doesn't know where his future lies. He said, my desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. Do you believe that? Do you believe it's better? Sometimes I don't think we do. Verse 24, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. He said, to live is Christ. In other words, if I continue to live, that means I get to tell more of you about the immense and gracious love of Jesus. I get to help set the captives free from their spiritual bondage. I get to live on mission, an important mission as an agent of Christ's love to a broken world. But to die is gain, he says. He says, if I die I'm in the presence of Jesus. I'm in the house of the Lord. I'm at complete peace, and my joy is eternal because there's no pain, there's no suffering in the presence of Jesus, and I'm finally completely free from the struggle of the flesh. You can feel the tension in his voice, right? Like I can tell he truly doesn't know which one he should do if if he has that choice. But he says, for your sake, for your joy, I will remain here until God calls me home. Wow. Hold that statement close to your heart tonight because we're going to come back to it. He continues the letter. He continues to write about the gospel and how Jesus came down to earth and he, and he died on the cross. He became, um, he, he became the perfect sacrifice and he, he left heaven. He gave up his divine privilege so that he could die for our sins and then later on rise from the grave. And then in Philippians 3, 7 through 11, he says this, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He says everything. I count everything as loss compared to knowing Christ. 
Right? For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection that makes his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul doesn't pull punches here. He says, everything I thought that I had gained before Christ that the world says was good, I now count it as loss. Because compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, it meant nothing. There was no money, no fame, no relationship, no achievement that would satisfy Paul. Only Jesus. Other translations of verse 10 simply state, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. I love this language, right? He, he doesn't say he wants more head knowledge. He doesn't want to know about Christ. He says, I want to know Christ. I want to know Jesus. I want to know him as a friend, know him as a father, know him as a shepherd. This so deeply captures the heart of Christianity. It's not about religion or ritual to him. It's about an actual relationship with Jesus to know him, to know him. So then Paul continues his letter in, in chapter 3, and here's where I really want to focus the rest of the time. In uh, verse 20 through 21, as Carson read, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Paul wants to leave no room for misinterpretation. He, he has said to live is Christ, to die is gain, right? He says he just wants to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, participate in his suffering. And he says this world doesn't gain him anything. So finally, he says it clearly, we are citizens of heaven. And in many ways, he's saying what David said in Psalm 23, 6, we're going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever because we're citizens of heaven. This is not our final home. And that is such a good gift. Because I know what we have right now brings a lot of pain. There's a lot of good things, but there's also a lot of bad. This is not our final home. So we are citizens of heaven, and if that's true, it should affect everything we do and every way that we think about it. In fact, the, the, the people who would be hearing this, this letter uh, read aloud to them at the Church of Philippi would understand when he says citizenship, that meant something. Because under Roman rule... If you were a Roman citizen, you had respect, you had honor, you had privileges that just any, any non-Roman citizen didn't have. It came with some prestige to it. Citizenship meant something powerful. And so when they were hearing this, like, oh, we're citizens, not even, not of Philippi, not even of Rome, we're citizens of heaven. That changes Everything. So if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, a sheep who follows the shepherd, do you live right now as a college student as if heaven is your permanent and eternal home? Do you live your life as a citizen of heaven or a citizen of earth? I believe it's so easy to have tunnel vision. Right, blinders on to like what's really um, important. If you're focused on the urgency of the moment, like what class you got to study for, 
who you're going to date, what job you're going to apply for, then you're going to miss this invitation by God to slow down to three miles an hour. To remember that he's your shepherd and remember that this life, this place, is not forever. Because if you think this life is forever, you're going to pursue things that are not going to leave you satisfied. They're gonna, you're going to be filled with things that Paul was chasing. Paul was t- chasing prestige. He was on a track to be really important in Judaism. And he realized that none of that was important. The only thing that's important is knowing Christ because I'm a citizen of heaven, not a citizen of here. So this might be tough to hear, but there are more important things than the number in your bank account, your GP status, and I mean that in the most loving way possible. The goodness and love of the shepherd that the psalmist speaks of, it invites you to a different way. Um, tonight, instead of just telling you in abstract ways of what this actually looks like to understand that you're, that you're not a citizen of earth, I've invited my friend Jim to come and share a little bit of his story. So would you guys welcome Jim up as he comes to share his story? Well, hey, everyone. Uh, I'm Jim, if we haven't met yet. Uh, I'm a first year here on staff. Uh, Hang out with all the freshmen with Shift. Where's all my freshmen out? Love you guys. (laughs) Um, So yeah, David asked me to share a bit of my story. Uh, So I hope that's okay. Uh, So my path to joining staff uh, was a little less traditional than most others. Um, I was actually a freshman here all the way back in 2010. So for all you math majors in there, you can figure out how old I am. Tell me later, it's great. Um, And also, Brian Marshall still looks and acts the exact same. That's like the only constant through all of those years is Brian is still the exact same, which is so funny to me. Um, So when I was a student here, was really involved in discipleship, uh, was in a core group, um, and then I went on to the greener pastures known as the nine to five life. Um, So I worked for the University of Kentucky uh, with 4-H, um, helped run the youth development program in Bullock County, uh, just south of Louisville. Um, during this time, still lived in Lexington. I just made the 90-minute commute uh, every single day because uh, Lexington was still my home. Uh, it was a lot, but I loved the impact that I was able to make on those youth in that county and still felt home was right here in Lex. Um, so about a year ago, uh, last July, uh, I started my daily routine, uh, made a quick bowl of oatmeal, crafted the perfect cup of coffee, uh, listened to whatever Taylor Swift song was kind of inspiring me that day. It was August, folklore album, track eight. I do know that one for a fact. And I hit the road. Um, so at about 7.15, uh, I was driving up towards the Kentucky Castle, right there on Versailles Road, um, when I truly watched time just slow down. Um, in front of me, I saw towards Lexington speeding down the road uh, in what appeared to be a race. Uh, the car that was in what should have been the slow lane Uh, tried to merge in front of the other vehicle, and instead of passing them like a normal driver would, they actually collided. Um, They stayed locked together, watched them come across the median, cross all lanes of traffic, um, and hit the guardrail in front of me. This all looked like it was slow motion, and I so wish that was the end of this story. Um, After uh, the cars hit the rail, the first car that kind of initiated everything kind of careened off of it and started coming right at me. Um, It was going so fast, there was truly nothing I could do. Um, I just remember holding on to the steering wheel and um, just remember thinking like, okay, I'm gonna hit this car. No idea um, what's gonna happen after that. It was just kind of this matter of fact, here it is. Um, so I got into a really awful crash. Um, I think there's a picture of what used to be my Tesla Cybertruck, also known as a Honda Civic. Um, <laughs> and there's me smiling in a hospital room. Um, 
So a little bit about that story. After the crash, um, I was still conscious. I remember a witness jumped up um, to come talk to me, and I had absolutely no idea just how severe this crash was. Um, I remember asking, like, hey, is help on the way? They were like, yeah, absolutely. I was like, is the other driver okay? And they were like, I don't know. And I just remember feeling so sad about that. Fast forward a little bit, other driver ended up being okay. There were no fatalities in there. It was all good there. Um, so after the first witness, uh, I remember several minutes going by. The first ambulance came. I remember asking them, like, guys, can you get me out? And I just remember they, like, looked at me, laughed at me, and were like, sorry, buddy, we can't. The Jaws of Life crew are actually on their way. Um, so several more minutes went by. Uh, finally, they were able to, like, open up my vehicle um, just enough to be able to pull me out. And for whatever reason, I thought it was a good idea to try to console them like they needed the help. I remember, like, I couldn't see anything, so my eyes were closed the whole time. And I was like, boys, I'm going to scream when you pull me out, but it's going to be okay. <laughs> I'm an idiot. I don't know. <laughs> so after they pulled all I remember was just thinking, uh, or they just asked, what are your parents' numbers? Gave them that, and then I was out. Uh, medication is really great. <laughs> so four days later, I finally woke up. That's right, four days. Um, they had kept me in a medically induced coma because my heart rate uh, just kept spiking. Every time they tried to pull me out of it, my body was just in so much shock, it just kept spiking up. So they had to keep me in a coma for about four days. Uh, the final tally on damage of me over there uh, had 15 broken bones and over 100 stitches. Um, I had eight broken bones in my right ankle, uh, four in my left knee, compound fracture in my left knee, uh, broke my elbow, uh, my right humerus, cracked sternum, microfractures in my face, and then sweet face lacerations on my forehead and cheekbone right there. Um, I'd never broken a bone before, and then I decided to like go for it. Just full send, <laughs> pretty much, is what happened there. <laughs> so I was in the hospital for about two weeks, and during that time, there were some truly amazing stories um, that came from this time. Um, I remember the day I came out of my coma, um, there were just so many nurses and doctors that kept coming up to the room just to come check on me. They weren't like my primary care, they just heard that I was awake and wanted to check on me. And they said, during those four days, I was just so kind and so funny, and they just wanted to come say hey. Um, and y'all, I don't have any recollections from those four days, so that's truly just the Holy Spirit within me, because um, I don't remember them. Like I had to tell them straight to their faces, they were just like so excited to see me, I was like, I have no idea who you are. I'm so glad I was nice though, because it could have gone so much worse. I remember the last person that came to check on me was actually a buddy from high school. Um, his name's Varun. Um, he's a doctor at the University of Kentucky Hospital. Um, and he told me this story that actually, um, when I got brought in, he was the one who stitched up my face. But he said, um, when they brought me in, he actually couldn't even recognize me. He was working on my face and there was just so much just glass and blood everywhere um, that I was unrecognizable. And it wasn't until apparently as he was stitching me up, apparently I opened my eyes, saw him and I was like, Varun, buddy, so good to see you. <laughs> just again, y'all, medication is good. Um, but he said he didn't even recognize me until I spoke to him. That's what it finally took for him to be like, oh, that's Jim, that's my friend. And he was like, he would just didn't even know how to react because he just couldn't even recognize me, which is so crazy. Um, the last story that I wanted to share from the hospital um, is one that truly will stick with me for the rest of my life. Um, so one of the last nights that I was there, um, when you're in the hospital, days and nights kind of get flip-flopped as you're just like poked and prodded and have surgery done on you. They're all kind of made up. Um, so it was about 2 a.m., and I remember just kind of wrestling with God that night, saying, God, I truly believe it's a miracle that I'm still alive. Um, 
I can't explain why I survived, why I'm still me and I don't have any brain damage. There's no internal organ issues. Um, my neck and back were okay. Like, yeah, my arms and legs don't work, but like, we'll worry about that later. Um, but truly, like, God, why do you have me here? And I will never forget, for one of the first times in my life, I just heard a very clear purpose and direction um, put on me. And God just said, Jim, no matter the platform you have, no matter the people you're with, your job on this earth is to spread joy to a broken world. That's it. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter the people that are in front of you. Wherever you are, spread joy to that broken world. That was incredible. <laughs> and then I heard very clearly, but you need to share this with others. Just think of how often like, you have this like, good idea or this good thought, and you're just like, man, that's a nice thought, but you never actually like, followed through with it. God just very clearly is like, but you need to share this with other people. So I said, yeah, God, cool. It sounds great. I'll share with others. No big deal. It will be all good. Um, and I'm not joking, y'all. Like the moment I like reconciled that with God of like, this is so wonderful. I know what you want. I'm gonna talk about this. All of the medical equipment that was attached to me just like glitched out, out of nowhere. It said I wasn't getting any oxygen. It said my heart rate was just like spiking uncontrollably. And all of the nurses in that wing came rushing into my room telling me that I should have just died. They couldn't explain it. <laughs> which was just like so insane to me. I was like, I'm just chilling watching some like uh, Dwayne Wade game show that only like lasted an amazing. Um, so it was just kind of crazy that it was just like truly the moment God was just like, yes, I will share this with other people, um, this happened. And I'm not someone who looks for signs or wonders, um, but agreeing to something with God and immediately having folks think that you're dead um, is a pretty clear sign that you should follow through on that promise that you made. So here I am following through on that promise that I made. <laughs> <laughs> so recovery was long um, after the two weeks in the hospital I was actually stuck in a hospital bed at my dad's house for about two months um, slowly got the use of my arms and legs back over time um, learned how to sit up again how to finally stand how to finally walk um, and then finally I was able to come back to Lexington which truly was so amazing um, after I was able to move back I'd went to physical therapy several times a week and there's actually guys right here on staff at CSF um, that took care of me. They took me to those appointments. They grabbed lunch with me. They just made me feel like a human again, which truly was just the sweetest thing. Um, I'll never forget riding with Sam Coons, who's on staff here. He's upstairs in the philanthropy office, um, all the way in the back corner. He likes to hide back there so people don't know him. Please go find him. Sam's great. Um, but I remember talking to Sam after one of these appointments. And he and I were just kind of joking or talking like, hey man, what's the future got for you? You know, what are you doing? Um, and I remember he kind of joked, he said, you know, just quit your job at 4-H and go on staff at CSF. And we both laughed at how ridiculous that was. And now God has a funny way of answering those prayers because um, here we are. Um, I may never know the fullness of why God still has me here. I may not ever be able to answer that question. This is specifically, you know, why I survived and why I'm okay and why I can still mostly function. Um, but I'm very aware that the life I'm living is not my own. The idea of being on borrowed time is more present than ever. Um, but God truly is driving this ship. Uh, I hopped in the passenger seat for little Carrie Underwood, Jesus, you take the wheel. And even with a clear vision and purpose for life, um, I still constantly pretended every day felt like this just miraculous gift just to be here still. Uh, and the honest truth is most days are still really difficult. Uh, physically, I'll never be back to 100%. I've just had to come to terms with that. Um, but I'm so grateful for the promise that this earth 
is not our forever home, like David said earlier. But with the time I still do have here on earth, um, I wanna glorify my good shepherd who takes care of his sheep. And I'm so grateful that for now, uh, he led me back to this place with you guys. Thank you all so much. Um, I hope you guys get to know Jim. I don't know how many people who can talk about a near-death experience and cause that much laughter in the room. Um, but uh, I, I, love, I love just his clarity and as he thinks about that, because I remember as his friend getting the call and realizing my friend is on death's door potentially and we don't know what's going on and not hearing from him for days when we would text all the time. And for him to come out of that in his clearest thought, I, I, I never forget getting that call and being like, hey, I just need to tell you what God just spoke to me. And fast forward a year and, and he's on staff here. And the reason I wanted him to share that story is because exactly what he said, borrowed time. This earth is not our, our forever home. So if this earth is not a forever home, what are you doing with your life? What are you doing with your life? Are you making it count? Is it amounting to anything outside of a paycheck? And a, a nice house with a picket fence and a spouse and a, a few kids. Is there something more that you're pursuing? Not all of us will have a moment like a car accident that invites clarity, but all of us need to hear this gentle whisper of the shepherd that says, follow me, trust me. This life feels intense at times, but remember, it's merely a blip on the radar of eternity. So are you tired of your anxiety are you tired of your depression? Are you tired of your addiction, your loneliness? Let me offer hope and remind you, this is not your forever home. That stuff will end. In Revelation 21, um, we read about what's coming in our future. We get to kind of see the end of this, this story, or really the beginning of another story. Uh, but John describes what's coming f uh, for our lives, and he, and he describes this scene that's coming. He says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And then here's the hope. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Pain is gone. Because heaven is our forever home. Do you believe that? Have you given your life to the Lord? What's holding you back? Jesus invites. He's knocking on the door of your heart. He said, let me in. Let me in. Jesus invites us to our eternal home where his love and his faithfulness will guide us. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When you realize you're not just any fan, you're a fan who knows the coach. When you realize you're not just a sheep, you're a sheep who knows the shepherd. And when you realize you're not a citizen of the world, you're a citizen of heaven. That changes everything. So to close tonight, I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. I want to I just read Psalm 23 over you one more time. I want it to be so ingrained. I know you've heard it every week, and I just want it to like just, just be so rooted in our hearts that you understand who God is and how he thinks about you. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this over you. We're going to go back into worship. And just as a reminder, we're going to have our prayer team 
out on the deck and between the house and the hut over here, and they would love to pray with you. Every week at Synergy, we always do this. We want to have people available to pray because it's so important. And I just want to read Psalm 23 over you as a prayer to wrap up our time together as we continue in worship. You can close your eyes if that helps you think about the words, but I really want these words to mean something to you tonight. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever.